about you. You'll find our text this morning in Luke's gospel chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7, um, beginning in verse number 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. While you're finding that place, um, I want to be sure and say thank you to all the folk at Charity for all the work that they've done around here this week. I've, uh, Brother Kevin was given a gracious introduction to myself and mentioned my family, but there's a lot of other people here at Charity. Uh, and of course, he acknowledges them as well, but I've been impressed with the labor that's taking place. And I told the pastor last night, as we were leaving sometime just before the midnight hour, I said, Preacher, isn't it a blessing that people have been here all week, started early, worked late, and there was a little crowd of people gathered around there, and everybody was smiling, everybody was happy just to be a part of it. And uh, we've heard messages this week that's been such a blessing, such an encouragement. Um, not to point anyone out above another, they've all been great. Brother Thacker, that uh, message you preached the other night, brother, I'm still and will for some time feed on that. I mean, the gospel was preached. My soul, that was absolutely wonderful. All right. I better get about my business. Brother Kevin said, Preacher, take about 30 or 35 minutes. I've got an hour and a half message. Um, so we're going to have to condense. Um, I preached this sermon, Sister Peggy, Brother David. I went to their house some time ago. She wasn't able to get out. And this is a message that I preached there. I preached till sunset at your house, correct? So pray for me for the gift of summary. Amen. <laughs> Luke chapter number 7. Verse number 36, <clears throat> and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much." But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? 
And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of the fanaticism of those forgiven much. The fanaticism of those forgiven much. This chapter that we're in, Luke chapter number 7, it divides uh, into six different, uh, six different parts. Verse 1 through 10 is the account given of the centurion's servant healed. Then in the 11th through the 18th verse, we have the account of the widow of Nain and her son raised from the dead. Then verse 19 through 23, you have the disciples of John coming and asking uh, on behalf of John, art thou he that should come or do we ask for another? And Jesus responds and gives them their answer in verse 24 through 30. You have Jesus' validation of the person and ministry of John the Baptist. And then uh, in verse 31, uh, or rather verse 36 through 50, we find uh, this account of this woman who we don't even have a name for. We just know her as a sinner woman. And so... Uh, there's more than one account in the Bible of a woman approaching our Lord with an alabaster box of ointment. They're not the same account. The second is given in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 through 16. But they are two different events. They take place at two different times. It's two different Simons that are mentioned, uh, two different locations. It's two different events all together. I said we wanted to look at the fanaticism of those forgiven much. Now, you probably know what the word fanaticism means, but just in case there's those here who may have went to the University of South Pontotoc as I did, I shall read the definition of fanaticism for you. Fanaticism means excessive enthusiasm, extreme interest in something to a degree that some people find unreasonable. Uh, we often would call ourselves a fan of something, maybe some sports team or some uh, person. The word fan finds its root in fanatic. A fanatic is a practitioner of fanaticism, and we live in a culture who celebrates fanaticism on every hand, that is, except when it comes to the matter of Christianity. And then when it comes to Christianity, uh, fanaticism is regarded in a very low degree. And so what we're looking at is the fanaticism of those forgiven much. I want to quickly make our way through the text. We begin reading in verse number 36. I want you to see firstly the setting of the hour in verse number 36. The setting of the hour. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. So we have the desire of the degenerate. The desire of the degenerate. This Pharisee by the name of Simon for one reason or another, and, and it would only be speculation if we tried to uh, say why he asked, but what we do know is did he, that he did ask. He desired him, him being Christ, that he would eat with him. So that's the desire of the degenerate for whatever reason. He had a desire for Christ to come and to be with him in his home and to have a meal with him. But then immediately following that in the same verse, verse number 36, we see the disrespecting of the divine. And I say that we see that in verse 36 as it reads 
and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would come, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And, and one might would read and say, I see no disrespect. But the disrespect, and, and the text will elaborate on it further as we go, but the disrespect is found in the fact that there was no fanfare. There was no washing of feet. There was no uh, kiss on the cheek. There was no accommodations given. Even though he had desired for Christ to come into his house, uh, he made no note of the fact when Christ did enter into his house. Secondly, I want us to see uh, not only the setting of the hour, uh, but the scene inside the home. In verse number 37 and 38, we'll look further at this scene inside the home. The first thing we notice is the presence of sinners. The presence of sinners, plural, in verse number 37. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. There's a singular sinner. This woman is introduced to us not by name, but just that she was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus said it meet in the Pharisee's house, there's our second sinner. So we have, uh, when we look at the scene inside the home, we have the presence of sinners. We have this woman who's introduced as a sinner. We have the Pharisee who we know to be Simon, and he is a sinner. Later in the text, we're introduced to another group of people who we do not know the number of, but they are sinners. And so there's the presence of sinners in this home. And, and so far as I can read, I only see one thing that differentiates these sinners. One of the sinners recognizes her sinfulness and the rest of them do not. So there's the presence of sinners in verse number 37. But then again, in verse number 37, there's the presence of the Savior. It said, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, word had come to her that Jesus was sitting at meat in the Pharisee's house. We don't know all that entailed in her hearing. We know that there's been a lot going on. I told you by way of introduction briefly of what had happened just in days before that, how that the centurion servant had been healed, the widow of Nain's son raised, the uh, disciples of John the Baptist have come with questions from John. And what I'm trying to say is, is it was making news that Jesus was in the area. And this sinner woman who recognized her sinfulness and her depravity and her nothingness, there was something in her that said, if I can get to Jesus Maybe he can do for me what he has done for all of these others that I've heard tell of. And so she approaches this Pharisee's house because there is the presence of the Savior. I don't have time to say a lot about it this morning, but I'm thankful for the presence of the Savior. I'm thankful for it in our day-to-day -day lives. I'm thankful for it in the valleys of life. I'm thankful for his presence when we come to places like this and gather together and hear the preached word of God and have the fellowship of the brethren. Thank God for the presence of Christ. There is the presence of the Savior. And then I would say in verse number 37, there's the presence of a sacrifice. It said, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. There's the presence of a sacrifice. So far as I know, no one else brought anything. Even the head of the home, the owner 
of the home didn't really acknowledge anything about Christ. We've already alluded to that. He didn't greet him in any way whatsoever. But this woman, the sinner woman, when she comes, uh, she brings this alabaster box of ointment, a priceless commodity, and she brings it as a sacrifice. She's going to anoint him with it. There's the presence of a sacrifice, but then there is the performing of a sacrifice. The performing of a sacrifice. We find that in verse number 38, the Bible says, speaking of this woman, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. There's the performing of a sacrifice. You see, the first thing that she does is she weeps. She's come into the presence of the one who loved her, who would soon give himself for her. And she is overwhelmed in his presence. She acknowledges her sinfulness, her lowliness, her nothingness, but his holiness, his greatness, his godness. And she is moved to tears. God help us as the people of God when we get to the place that we become dried. That we're not moved when we think upon the things of our blessed Savior, He who redeemed us. Ah, There's the performing of a sacrifice. She is moved to tears. She weeps. But then the Bible says that she began to wash His feet with her tears. So she weeps and then she washes She's not just shedding one or two tears and then drying it up and getting her mascara and eyeliner back intact. Oh, no. No, she's moved to tears to the extent that her tears begin to fall on his feet the way he would have been seated. In that culture, it would have been that they would have, uh, it would be how our children eat in the floor sometimes as they watch cartoons or something along those lines. They lay down on one side with a hand propped under their head and they eat and their feet are behind him. So when she approached him, she would have approached him and come to his feet first and she stands over his feet and then she begins to contemplate on her sinfulness and his holiness and she begins to weep and the tears fall and the quantity of tears is such as they begin to fall on the feet of the Savior whose feet had been ignored when he walked in the room, whose feet would have been covered with the dust of the ground that he had been walking on. The tears begin to fall and a muddy water begins to show up on his feet from the quantity of the tears that are falling on his feet. She washes his feet with her tears. Excuse me. So then the next thing that we see, she weeps and she washes. And then the Bible says, and did wipe them, those being his feet, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. She wipes. She looks. She's she's overcome by his greatness. She's overcome that she is standing in the presence of the Lamb of God. And she weeps in a volume that made so much that it turned the dust into mud upon his feet. Simon has offered no towel. 
Simon has offered no aid in the situation. And this sinner woman looks upon the dirty, muddy feet of our blessed Lord. And with nothing else to use, she takes that that the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, is her glory, the hair of her head. If there was anything about this woman, some say that it was most likely she was a prostitute. Everyone knew she was a sinner. And she was looked down on as being the very bottom of society. And if there was anything glorious about her, it was her hair. And she took her glory, the greatest and grandest thing about her, and loosed it and bowed down behind him and stooped down and took her hair and began to wipe the tears and mud from the feet of the blessed Lord as she worshipped him. I'm telling you, those that have been forgiven much ought to be moved when they think upon he who redeemed them. Where would you be this morning had Christ left you alone? You didn't go looking for him. You were on your road to a devil's hell as a martin to his gourd and you were happy with it that way. But the Savior intervened. He sought you out. He regenerated you. You had nothing to offer him. He had everything to offer you. We ought to be in the foot washing business when it comes to worshiping our Savior. We ought to bow down before Him. We ought to be willing to be used of Him in the lowest and most menial of tasks. She weeps, she washes, she wipes. Then in the end of verse number 38, you see that she worships. It says, and kissed His feet and anointed them with the ointment. Have you ever been overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene? Have you ever contemplated where you would be had Christ and his grace not have had mercy on you? Where would you be? I told our brother this morning he'll be preaching next. He was nervous about preaching. I said, Brother Lynn, there's no big preachers here. There's no big preachers here. The biggest among us, if not for the grace of God, would be on skid row somewhere, a needle in the vein, somewhere chasing some woman who did not belong to him, chasing a dollar bill. I love uh, how Brother Thacker stated it last night, how that your depravity might not express itself in the way that another man's depravity expresses itself, but you be sure of this one thing. We're all equally and totally depraved. Oh, to think of the mercy of God. I shall never get over that glad day. That August night, some quarter of a century ago, when the Savior came and convicted our heart of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I say glory. Hallelujah. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our service unto him. Bless his name, children. Where did he find you at? 
God bless his sweet name. She worships him. She kisses his feet and cleanses his feet with the hairs of her head. And can I say to you that the most grand and glorious thing about you, just as her hair was that about her, we should lay at his feet in our service to him. Uh, There's the scene inside the home, but then there's the scoffing of the host. In the 39th verse, the Bible says, Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. There's the scoffing of the host. First, we see his dismissal of the Savior. This man... If he were a prophet, would have known Simon displays his ignorance as to the person of Christ and who he is and to the person of Simon and who he is. He's focused on the sinfulness of this woman rather than focused on his own sinfulness as he is in the presence of the same Savior that she is in the presence of. There's his dismissal of the Savior and his disgust for the sinner. I must hurry along, but let me say this. God help us to always remember in the presence of sinners, but for the grace of God, we would be that or worse. Who knows where we would be if not for the grace of God in our life? Uh, There's the scoffing of the host and then there's the sermon on the happenings and I'm going to give you those quickly. In verse 40 through 48, we find this sermon on the happenings. Simon's hypocrisy is confessed in verse number 40. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. I'm telling you that Simon's hypocrisy is confessed because one verse previous in his mind, in his heart, but not audibly, uh, he cut Jesus low. This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known. Jesus, knowing his mind and his heart, said, Simon, I've got something to say unto you. Simon said, Master, Master, say on lip service. Simon's hypocrisy is confessed. By Simon himself. Then we see in verse 41 and 2, the Savior's hypothetical considered. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? He gives Simon a question. Two debtors. One owes, owes tenfold more. Neither can pay a penny. He frankly forgave both. Tell me, Simon. Who will he love the most? Then we see in verse 43, Simon's honest conclusion. It may be the only moment that Simon has been honest in the entire discourse. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. He said, Simon, you've finally got something right, son. You finally understood that the one who has 
forgiving most, will love the most, and be the most probable to be a fanatic, to take things a little too far, and to make others uncomfortable because they recognize what they have been forgiven. Do you remember when Christ cast an eye of grace your direction and the thought that come across your heart and across your mind is all that I have done, how wicked I have been. Is it? Could it be that there is hope, that there is mercy, that there is grace for such a worm as I? And there was grace abundant. There was mercy without measure that should prompt us and cause us to Love him to a point of fanaticism. I remember when I was saved, I had family who wanted me to get right enough to start going to work every day, paying my bills and quit running the roads and stay at home with my wife and children. But I messed around and got more saved, Brother Richard, than they wanted me to get. I got so saved, I showed up to Sunday school the next Sunday and started tithing and started witnessing to them about the hypocrisy in their life. (laughs) I was the sinner in my family who it was obvious that I was lost and on my road to hell. Uh, They were the Simons and they detested the fact that I had become a fanatic. You know what would be said most often, Miss Peggy? We're happy for you. That you're not what you used to be. But you're taking this religion thing a little too far. How far is too far? How far is too far? (laughs) My soul. We have Simon's honest conclusion. Then there's the Savior's humbling comparison in verse 44 through verse 47. And he turned to the woman. (coughs) So far as we know This is the first point during this whole discourse that Christ has made eye contact with this woman. He turns to this woman, but he's not speaking to her yet. And said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? So he turns from Simon, turns to the woman, speaking to Simon. Simon, seest thou this woman? He's about to make a comparison between the two. We're going to see the Savior's humbling comparison. He says... I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with all thou did not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she hath loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So as facing this woman, speaking to Simon, he said, Simon, test after test, to wash the feet, to kiss, to anoint. You failed every test, Simon. She passed every test with flying colors. He's looking her in the eye while speaking to Simon. And then he makes a grand and glorious declaration to Simon concerning her. Uh, He said 
her sins, which are many, are forgiven. <laughs> her sins, which are many, Simon, they are forgiven. And then he speaks directly to her concerning the matter. Verse 48, we see the sinner's holy cancellation, and I'll be done. Verse 48, and he, that being Christ, said unto her, being the sinner woman, thy sins are forgiven. Thy sins are forgiven. Do you remember when God granted you the assurance that your sins had been pardoned, that your soul had been saved, and that you were his and he was yours? Thank God for the cancellation of sins. And any man, woman, boy or girl who has ever been a recipient of the free grace of God ought to be a fanatic. You say, well, preacher, that's all fine and good, but I don't know anything about those things. I was in church nine months before I was born. I never tasted alcohol. I never said a cuss word. God saved me when I was eight years old. Listen, where were you headed had he not saved you? You were headed to hell with the most wicked among us. You would have been our neighbor. I'm saying that to say this. Every single one of us this morning who are saved have been forgiven much. So much. How fanatical are we in our devotion to him? And when I say fanatic, I don't mean stupid. I don't mean going out and doing stupid things. Don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about, as Brother Mike shared with us Sunday morning, being second mile Christians, going the extra mile. When we consider what he done for us, where, would be, where we would be had he not have done what he'd done for us, that mile post, that one mile post should never be our objective. We should continue on in our service and be fanatic, dedicated, sold out in our service to him. Why? Because he first loved us and shown his grace and mercy upon us. I bless his name, children. I bless his name. Pastor, I'm done. You come.